0: Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, The Homebrew Pub will turn into The Guest Brewer's Perfect Brew Pub. So please come in, grab a stool and grab a pint. We are welcoming our first guest homebrewer to The Homebrew Pub. We're welcoming Coulter from the podcast Homebrewing DIY.
1: Hey Andrew, thank you for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, I I, I you know, we've worked together on other podcasts. I've mm. been on Pop Culture Brews, you've been on my show. You ever put a call out that says Coulter be on my be on a podcast. I'm always going to say yes. So, here I am, excited to talk to you about homebrewing.
0: I I appreciate that cuz you are a wonderful supporter of everything homebrewing and podcasting. So, do really appreciate all the help you've given over the... God, it's been two years.
1: I know. It's crazy, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And we spent <laughs> six months of that trying to get you on Pop Culture Brews.
1: <laughs> well, you know, there, there was a whole pandemic that happened.
0: Yeah. It was, it was a small little thing. It, it was a whole thing.
1: Yeah, but you know, the day we we brewed together was super fun. Mm-hmm. It was great, and we we made Tyler watch the room, which he hit, still I am sure thinks is the worst movie he's ever seen. He he's so, not a fan. He doesn't. I don't he think he gets movie. it. So to to give a little bit of context <laughs> to our
0: listeners, um, I have another podcast, Pop Culture Brews. It's where we take pop culture we like and we brew beer inspired by it. And so Calder came around <laughs> last summer and brewed a room, uh, brewed a beer for this movie, The Room, which if you've heard of it, you need no introduction. And if you haven't heard of it, go and watch it. It is amazing. You may, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe have a couple of 10% beers beforehand.
1: You should go and watch it. It's, a, it's an atrocious movie. It's, it's bad in so many ways. And, you know, it's uh, pretty much a softcore porn. It, so. Yeah, that, that's fair. <laughs> wow,
0: straight out of the gate and episode one, we're talking about porn. This is this classy podcast is off to a great start.
1: Well, we are. We're also going to talk about beer too. Yeah. So. yeah, this is true.
0: But um, yeah, go and check out that episode of Pop Culture Brews. Um, but homebrewing DIY, it's been going for roughly two years as well.
1: You know, I currently the show is a bit on a hiatus. I had a, a deal with. A family member who has taken ill, and so I am currently in the process of taking care of that. I also got promoted at work, and so between those two, I, I've had to put the podcast a bit on a hiatus. Though I do have every intention of starting the show back up. I even act—I even have a interview in the in the hopper, ready to roll. Yeah. I just have to sit down and edit it, and I haven't even had the time to do that. So, I
0: I know how that goes. I we
1: all know how that goes, and. Uh, and I've even got multiple interviews lined up for the show. I just need to sit down and have them. So it, it is one of those things where I have, have struggled with time and family and all those things to, to be the, the creator that I want to be. That said, it used to be a weekly show, and it was all about the DIY aspect of hovering, right? It, mm-hmm. it started off talking about the gadgets people built, we did get more into process and interviewing homebrewers all over the world, but I've also gone from individual homebrewers. Like we're talking back and forth right now to, I've had obviously famous homebrewers as well in the, in the brewing community. I've had Lars Gersall on who, who, and and I, I tend to love authors. I'm a, I'm a Mm -hmm. big avid beer reader. I love reading about beer. I love learning about beer and so pretty much if you put out a new book over the last year about beer, I've tried to get you on the show. So uh, th- those are kind of who I've, it, I either want to learn from you or I want to know about what your process is. And that's really just what the show is about. It's a great show. It's got a, a pretty good-sized backlog. I
0: was going to say, you've got a, a – It's really... about 105
1: episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely stuff to learn. You don't have to you, you don't have to wait for an episode to come out. You could just go listen to it. And all of the info that's on there is pretty relevant even for today. Yeah.
0: So yeah, no, I, I urge everyone to go and check out that show because it's such a different take on a lot of home brewing. Really, as you say, I mean, we were talking before we started recording the episode where I discovered you and got into it was two British chaps making um, beer out of tea brewing equipment in England, which you know clearly. I'm not a Denver native, even though the podcast says it's in Denver, but um, it was such a fun interview with these two guys who were just approaching homebrewing from such a different way. But then I was thinking about it, that they were just ahead of the curve on electric brewing. That's, yeah. that's what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah, and, and the tea urn, just to kind of put in perspective, a tea urn like that in the UK runs on a higher voltage yep. than here in the States, right? Electric brewing in Europe in general is the way people just brew. Like mm-hmm. Electric brewing there is way more common than it is here. People think we're weird that we have propane burners sitting around yep. trying to brew beer with like that kind of heat. It, it's, it, electric is the way they go in Europe, <laughs> and that's across the board. I've seen some setups in Europe where they do five-gallon buckets with heating wands in them, electric mm-hmm. heating wands that they set in them. Uh, but the, the, those T urns can actually boil water, yeah. which is pretty close to what you would get from like a mash and boil in, in those style of, 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 of those electric breweries that are like the all-in-one. Yeah. It's very similar to that style. And that's kind of what they made, right? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what they made. And they were kind of doing a brew-in-a-bag method. But of course, as any home brewer does, even in talking to them, they were always trying to upgrade that system to something <laughs> better and... And, and, and actually, the last time I talked to one of the cooksies, and I cannot remember his first name. Sorry, it's been a couple, hundred, it's been a hundred episodes since then. Mm. But I will tell you that the last time I spoke with him online, he had told me that he'd actually gotten a gig at a brewery and they were letting him make beer professionally. I was oh, like... wow. So it, it's one of those things where you, you start small and it can turn into something that ends up being a job.
0: And, and what a job to have.
1: Yeah. I would. I, I wouldn't mind brewing beer for, for a living.
0: So welcome to the homebrew pub, the only pub in the universe where every beer on tap is a beer made by a homebrewer. <laughs> That's awesome. And and so before we, uh, before we get into, um, you know, what beer you're going to add to our um, tap list, um, what's your approach to brewing? Like how do you approach recipe formulation, um, does your process change depending on the beer? I mean, how, how do you think about brewing?
1: I would say when I started brewing, I started like everybody else. I, I started with extract kits. I think my first batch of beer was 1998. I used the Cooper's pre-hopped wort kit. It was mm-hmm. pretty awful, actually. Very contaminated. I, I could only clean my bottles with iodine back then. They, you didn't have the kind of sanitizers you have today. It was just a very different game in the 90s. Brewed a couple batches, then took a hiatus until about 2010, and then started brewing again. Obviously, started with extract again, but very quickly on on that second go around, got to all grain. Mm-hmm. And I've gone through a few different systems from a brew in a bag system, many iterations of that, from like a turkey fryer all the way up to a giant kegel. I was making 10 gallon batches at that point, and and I've moved myself now to where I, I've it, it's it's weird I. I started with a five-gallon kit, got to where I could do 10-gallon batches, And now I've, I, I've generally and I would say, in the last year, have generally made about one, a lot of one-gallon batches. I, I've kind of moved to that. The reason is is that it takes a lot less equipment to do small batches. I generally am not drinking as much beer as I used to. I, I just getting through a five-gallon batch right now is a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, pre-pandemic, it was easy to invite a bunch of oh, friends over. Oh, totally would, get it. They would tear through all your beer. And w- post-pandemic, yeah, it's great to have a friend or two over. But even then, it's not happening as often as it used to. And so, therefore, I found that at the beginning of the pandemic, I did drink 15 gallons of beer just to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, then, <laughs> and then, after that, I realized, hey, that's that's probably not good for my health. Yeah. And then, and then, quickly into into the, we, you know, starting to actually be in the pandemic is the better way to pe- be. And and just the new reality we've had for the last couple of years, it's just one of those things where I, I found that I couldn't get through beer fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I always want to have different beers that I'm drinking. And so I would say for the last year, I've been focusing a lot more on one gallon batches. And as part of the podcast, I was given a beer maker machine from the beer maker crew up in, mm-hmm. up in uh, Boulder great little machine actually uh my homebrew club calls it my bread beer my bread maker for beer yep but i've been using the hell out of that thing because it's just so easy i i could do all grain batches Mm -hmm. it works really well and i i would say a majority of my beers right now are actually coming out of my beer maker machine just because of the convenience uh uh, it's taken my brew day down to 15 minutes from five hours (laughs) so it, it is something where it is that... It's so simple to use that mm-hmm. it, it's really just... But I always have beer on tap because of it. Yeah. So it, it's worked out well. That said, for the most part, I have brewed a few five-gallon batches here and there. And as I have been, I, I'm still using an all-electric system. I have a mash-and-boil set up. It's a, an all-in-one home home brewery where it, it's, it's basically a playoff of the brew in a bag. I actually brew in a bag in it, and I use a brew bag... I do all grain. I am pretty meticulous recipe-wise. Mm-hmm. I, I use Brewfather for my brewing software. I do build re- recipes from scratch. I ha- my, my recipe approach is a couple of things. First of all, I believe in simple recipes. I think that people trying to... You see this a lot when people are trying to mimic or clone beers where they'll have... 0.5 ounces of Crystal 70
0: or
1: or, or two-tenths of one ounce of Crystal 120. I don't I don't play that game. I try to keep things as as close to a pound as I can if I'm doing it in pounds. I, if you're listening to this from the UK, obviously it would be metric, but we're, we're here in the States, so everything here is done in pounds. And so I try to keep it that way. Hey, I If I'm going to make a beer, I want to do it 10, 11, 12 pounds. I want to keep my baseball in full pounds. It's just easier to figure out. And it's easier to get in, and also, if it, it doesn't really make that much of a difference, <laughs> it does right? It really doesn't. No. And then, and then from there, when it comes to like specialty malts, I try to keep them simple. I, they have to be there for a reason. If they're not there for any reason, they go away. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to not use things like, uh, like Dextra malts or anything like that that often, unless it's there for a specific reason. Obviously, with like pilsners and stuff, there might be purposes for head retention that you have to have those but for the most part if i'm making a blonde ale there's there's no extra involved yep. in it. it it doesn't matter right there's enough hops in it it'll, it'll work just fine and and i just think in my mind that i want my recipes to be simple i want my ingredients to be high quality i think that that's a thing that people overlook a lot with homebrewing we tend to get super into trying to be cheap and i spend the extra money on good stuff mm-hmm I, I'm a firm believer of if I'm making a British m- malt, a British beer, I only use British malt. If I'm making a German beer, I only use German malt, and then I still even go for the good stuff when it comes there. Floor malted Weirman, Pilsner, mm-hmm. that's so good, right? And so it, it is that kind of, that that's my approach. Is is I actually believe that the if I have quality ingredients, I'm actually going to make quality beer, and and if I use good methods that are. Around good sanitation and and process, that everything tends to work out. I would say, when it comes to the thing that I try to avoid the most is obviously cold side oxidation. I think that it's it's funny, back when I first started home brewing, everybody was like, "Hey, you got to put it in secondary, man, mm-hmm. in secondary, you gotta You get that beer." There's clean, no
0: right? need.
1: Yeah, no. I secondaries have been dead for a while, but. Yeah. But that's, that's what homebrewers focused on back then. Is, hey, we want to get clearer beer. And we want to make it look pretty, right?
0: I, re- and... I remember doing that when I started like nine years ago. It was like you got to do it. I had like the second fermenter and, and everything. Yep. And, you know, this is before I had my fancy, you know, all steel with the spigot. So I'm trying to do like the bloody um, auto siphon, auto siphon, not even auto siphon, just siphon. Yep. And it was such a pain that I just remember going, well, it's fine on, on the yeast cake for an extra week or two, and yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, discovering cold crashing was huge, right? Mm-hmm. Was like, Whoa! And so, uh, I could do this in a day? Yeah! So, uh, <laughs> and the yeast cake is thick as hell, and it's gonna come off of it and doesn't suck up a bunch of yeast, this is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But but those were the kind of things that really have changed, but it's it's gone from it's gone from a process where we started with really being focused on things like secondary fermentations and different dogmatic parts of brewing to where I would say the modern dogma right now is like cold side oxidation is bad. Yeah. And, and, and really that comes from hazy IPAs being the big beer. And, and, and I, I, I make hazy IPAs. I think everybody does at this point. If you're if you're making IPAs, that's what an IPA looks like in America right now. Mm-hmm. And and they're so sensitive to oxygen. They they you try to bottle one and they go purple almost every time. Right? <laughs> it's just like uh I I I go to breweries. Uh Casey Brewing over in Glenwood Springs, one of my favorite breweries of all time. For a while, they were doing hazy IPAs and they were doing them in bottles. And I would buy bottles of them. And I'd be like, oh, this is going to be great. Pour it out and it's purple. Right? Yeah. It's just, yeah, because they're so touchy to oxygen. And so I would say that if there's something in my process right now that I really focus on other than your standard just processes of home brewing, it's really just mitigating any cold side oxidation. My beer maker machine does a great job of that because it never leaves its vessel mm-hmm. ever, and, and there is no transfers. And so therefore there is no oxygen. And it's a fully tent-controlled experience. But also when it comes to my fermentation, I ferment in kegs. I transfer keg to keg. I don't, I tend to not bottle often. And if I do, I bottle off a keg and it gets drank within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I, I am very, very touchy about oxygen in beer. Uh, that's, that's really, I would say, if there's anything that me and all my friends really focus on as, as a method, is to get that cold side oxygen out. Because that's the thing that's going to make it so your beer doesn't last as long. If you have hop flavor and that's a focus, your hops are not going to be the same. They already change enough, right? They change over time. They change enough. Throwing oxygen into the mix just just diminishes that over time. So so those would be the things I would say I focus on.
0: I I was going to say, just going back to your beer maker, I... I've gone back and forth about wanting one. Um, I remember seeing them on um, Shark Tank. Yeah. But the one thing I think they're really good for potentially is um, the recipe formulation. Because the problem is when you're formulating a new recipe, especially if you're doing a big beer, like you're about to spend a hundred bucks on ingredients, if not more. Yeah. And if your recipe sucks. <laughs> That, you're out 100 bucks, but if you go down to like a one-gallon thing, that might be 20
1: Yeah, and, and, and I think it's good for that, but it does have some limitations, so I, I'm not going to say it's the end-all, be-all machine out there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a great machine, and honestly, if you want to get into whole uh, all-grain homebrewing for as cheap as possible, it's actually probably the <laughs> easiest way to do it. it. The machine itself is about $500, and yeah. it comes with a little te- keg thing with it, so it even has a, a little tap system with it. And I have to say, that sounds like a lot of money, but when you actually put together all the equipment and everything you would need to make a five-gallon batch of mm-hmm. all-grain beer and do it right, and that includes a kegging system, right? Because ke- To me, if you're making all-grain beer, I- I'm not going to knock people to bottle. I think there are people out there who make great beer at the bottle. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, if you're going to be- brew at the same level that, that I'm brewing at, and, and most of my friends do, we all have kegging systems, you're into the thousands of dollars. Yep. The kegging system itself is going to be in above five hundred dollars alone, right? Mm-hmm. And then throw in an electric system or even a, a burner system with, with with you. You can try to do it on the cheap, but even when you do, after it's all added up, it's your thousands of dollars. I
0: was going to say, you look at an electric system; you're looking at five hundred minimum, minimum, so, minimum. So, yeah. At what point would you say a homebrewer realizes that either I've got to spend money or just make bad beer?
1: Some never do. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and I will say that some of the, the, one of the inspirations of homebrewing DIY was the lengths people would go to not spend money at some level. Right. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. There are cool things out there. People taking air conditioners to make their own glycol systems. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite projects out there, but still even then that's an investment of money. Like it's time and money. And, and to, for me, time is money. Yeah. I have kids. I have a wife. I have work. I have all the things that I want to do in my life. And so I have to actually, I, I sit down and I, I think of my time as money. Mm-hmm. And if something's going to save me time and allow me to still get the high quality, I, I think it's worth spending the money on.
0: Yeah.
1: I I, I look at my neighbor system and, and we talk about it on my podcast all the time because he's a frequent guest on the show and, and he's got a, a a great electric system that he's built out himself, and he's making such good beer right now. Yeah, right? like he's if you were to say somebody's at the height of their beer making, my neighbor right now is crushing some seriously great beer right now, and it is something where when I look at his style, the way that he makes beer, and the fact that he built a system that cost him thousands of dollars and if he went to go try to sell it he would never get that out of it right no. it's, it's, it's second hand Yeah, we all expect that oh yeah I spent six thousand dollars on the system I'm gonna go sell it for six thousand dollars no that's not how no. any of this works
0: it, it's a used car at that point it's a used car at that point you car, lost ten a... grand on it on the first brew <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a
1: depreciating <laughs> asset right but, but even then it is something where his time and investment in actually having quality stuff is paid off yeah i I, i'm just saying to me that's the balance you need to make is once you pick a style whether it's a three vessel system a brew in a bag system i i gotta say once you pick that go all in Mm -hmm. do do it do it and do it right you'll you'll never regret the beer you make
0: to me that's the whole point of this is like to make beer you like and make beer you can share with friends
1: yeah well and it's, there's nothing more amazing than the day you, you drank a beer and you were like, man, I could have got this at the brewery. like yeah. the, when, when when you actually make a beer that tastes like that, it took me about six or seven batches to get there. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like it happens overnight. There, there's a, When you first start off, you're going to have these off flavors that are just, you're like, oh man, I gotta, you know, you, good notes are going to ov- also help, of course, mm-hmm. but in the end, once you start making brewery-quality beer consistently, and you bring your friends over, and they think they're drinking commercial beer and it's your homebrew Mm -hmm. that that to me is like a moment in 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 a in being homebrewer that you're just like wow that 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 this is why i'm doing this right yeah so
0: totally agree i want to know what is the best beer you feel you've ever brewed like what beer are you adding to the tap list of the homebrew pub
1: yeah uh a great question because i've made so many beers in my past right but i would say looking at it, it the best beer i've ever made it, it, looking at a couple of I, I i i've won gold medals in my past right and those beers always turned out really well well clearly and, yeah and i won my first gold medal with with a with a kentucky common hmm. and, and and the reason i'm going to use that one is because a, it's a great one to put onto the show, and it's easy to make. Plus, at the time, it was right at the beginning of Kentucky Commons becoming a resurgence. And so the cool thing about it is we don't really know what that beer tastes like, if you, if you think about it. Yeah. And so it's really our modern interpretation of it. And so what my recipe looks like for a great Kentucky Common is you have to use six-row uh, six malt. Remember, I'm an ingredient snob, and, and so for me, if I'm going to make a great beer, I want to be true to the style. And one of the things that if you read the historical documents around it, it always came with 6-Row. You can make it with 2-Row. It would probably be fine. But 6-Row has a, just a slightly different flavor. It's, it's a little huskier. It's, it, it's a little bit more... Uh, it, it's just got a little bit more earthy flavor in my mind than, than you get from two-row. It, it's definitely not as, it, it, it's just, it, it does have its own unique flavor, especially when you taste the two side-by-side. Side. You can, like, you actually chew the malt, you can taste mm-hmm. it, and it does taste different. So I, I'm a firm believer that the base malt needs to be six-row, right? Yep. And, and so you start with six-row barley. I would actually do, if you're making a five-gallon batch, You don't need a lot. It's got to be like eight pounds of six row barley, right? You're not looking for this beer is supposed to be four to 6% in alcohol. It's not intended to be a a gigantic beer. You're going to see, I've seen interpretations where they're sour. No, they're not supposed to be Mm -hmm. sour. I've seen interpretations where they're like 7%. No, they're not supposed to be 7%. This is meant to be a beer that you would have bought in the early 1900s. And low ABV beers were actually a thing back then and and very very common it was a common beer it's not supposed to be a high abd right yeah so shooting for that eight pounds of six row you do have to have corn in it it's it's essentially a cream ale right so you're gonna do corn you're gonna do flaked corn and you only need it to be about 20 percent flaked corn so if you're doing eight pounds you only are gonna need about we're looking at a 10 pound grist you're gonna need about two pounds of like yeah. that.
0: Right? I was gonna say about a pound and a half if my maths yeah. is correct. Yeah,
1: exactly. So uh, I do about two, so it might be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But that that so remember I always do in whole numbers, right? yeah. So See, I'm I will I will happily
0: pounds. do a half pound.
1: <laughs> yeah, half pounds are fine, yeah. but I don't. Uh, I tend to go with whole pounds. Well you're the Especially, gold medalist here. I I, I I am, but it was eight pounds <laughs> and two it was eight eight pounds and two pounds. And then the other thing is it's gotta be a black beer. Right, so the tradition, the traditional cream ale is 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 essentially just two is essentially like two row and flake corn. This is six row flake corn, and then you're gonna add cluster hops, and that one throws people off because you're like, yeah, it's, you know, a little bit of cat piss. That's what that what cu- that's what cluster smells <laughs> like. But traditionally, cluster was like one of the first hops that were being exported from the states, and so. It is a it is a very american beer and american style and that's what was available back then and so i used cluster hops in mine and as far as the last malt that goes into it you literally a small handful not like an ounce or two Mm -hmm. of some black patent to just darken it up because it is a black beer and so essentially the the story of the beer was that in the kentucky common they essentially had a lot of German immigrants, and that's who they were serving beer to. And so they would make this beer, and they would just throw a handful of dark malt into it to just make it be a little darker. So it was like the beer they were drinking. I was gonna say more right. like a
0: dunkel or something. Yeah, in, exactly. In, but it didn't have the Bavaria. flavor of it.
1: it. Was a cream ale. That's how they got the body was with the corn. Yeah. right? that which is that American style, right? And then cluster hops, and and as far as that goes, you're only looking at. A one ounce addition of cluster in the boil and then you're gonna probably if I look remember my recipe correctly it was a half ounce at 10 minutes just for a little bit of aroma Mm -hmm. nothing super crazy very very simple recipe but the key here is is the six row really makes a huge difference and it is meant to be a very fresh beer so you're not this is not a beer that you're gonna want to sit on for a long time essentially it's a low-ADV beer. It's going to be done fermenting in about seven days, and you really want to carve it up quickly and get it out and serve it right then and there. It nice. is meant to be really fresh, and it, it, to me is a beer that loses a little bit as it, as it ages, so you want to drink it very, very soon after making it.
0: Nice, and we'll be um, including that recipe in the show notes as well. So okay. if you want to be uh, drinking along with us or brewing along with us, always go to the show notes of the episode. And you'll find the recipe for the beer that we just added to our tap list.
1: Um, so you're going to ask me about my worst beer now? I, I was going to ask you about the worst beer. And
0: again, like at the top of the episode, we're talking about the room, which again, I'm not going to tell the story of how you brewed that beer um, on the day. Let's just say it was a bit of a show. Um, so please go and listen, because that is actually one of my favorite episodes of Pop Culture Brews, because it's very oh. funny.
1: Oh, man, your drapes. Totally oh, they're nice. still they're still <laughs> stained.
0: Um but I I expected you to be like, I wanna talk about the room beer. But you're no, like not, No, not that's not the worst, beer, not the worst beer. And I'm like, How? What did you do?
1: Yeah, I I made this British Golden Ale and it it was like I wanted a British golden ale. I love British golden ales. So I think they're delicious. I to me it was, it, was like, uh, it was my first attempt at it, and just something went off in the fermentation. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I used SO4 for the, for the yeast in it, which is a, usually a really solid yeast. Never had problems before. And I, I, to this day, have no idea what went wrong with it, but there's something went off in the fermentation. That's exactly what happened. It was a fermentation issue, and it tasted like pure Band-Aids. Like, it was like, it was like chemically. Oh, just, I've had that. Yeah. And it was awful, but it was so strong mm-hmm. that it was undrinkable. And I actually had to pour all five gallons out. Uh. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, don't get me wrong. I've had beers I've made that I don't love, but I'll still drink them. Yeah. Night. Right. That's that, that, that I don't love this beer. I did something wrong with the recipe. That's not the best, but yeah, it's drinkable. It's fine. I'll just drink it. Right. Yeah. But I've never... It, there are very few beers I've, I've actually had to dump out. And I've had very few infections mm-hmm. throughout, throughout my homebrewing career. But this beer was one where I was like, this is undrinkable.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and I had to dump it out. It just had this chemically band-aid flavor that was so... Atrocious. Do I you know
0: what I awesome. wonder what that was? Because I've had this. So at the beginning of quarantine, I was going to brew two quarantine beers in the good old days when we thought it was eight weeks. Yeah. And both of them got infected with the exact same infection. And
1: See, I don't think the Band-Aid flavor's infection. I believe Band-Aid has to do with, it, 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 it's actually like fusel alcohols and you have... Oh, uh, okay. It, it's essentially, I think I fermented it up too hot. Is mm. actually what happened. And it was, a, it was an off flavor from the fermentation. Because it did ferment all the way out. There was no infection. There were no weird bubbles. Mm-hmm. There, was no, there was no other off flavors. It didn't smell like puke. To me, infections always smell like puke. Yeah. And, and so I, I really think it had to do with I ran the fer- ferment, fermentation hot. There probably was something wrong with my fermentation chamber at the time, which I've since got rid of.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: yeah, that, if that's the only thing I can think of was that it was something wrong with my fermentation ch- temperature that really just threw the beer off. That That's really what
0: it is. Okay, because I was going to say that I've had instances when I didn't treat... So I use Denver water out of the tap. I don't really yeah. treat my water. Denver tends to be pretty good. Um, but I've started using cams and tablets because... Uh, I forget what it is, but essentially the yeast attaches to the chlorine or the chlorin one, chloramine. Thank you, yeah. chloramine in the water, and you get that medicinal taste to it. Um, and, so and that
1: could very well be it. I I for years, I I live in Jefferson County, which is a little bit different than Denver water. Mm-hmm. My water here is the same water they put in, in course it it's, yeah. it comes right out of clear creek right right and our water tastes amazing here it, yeah. it really does it's like out of the tap my water is so good i'm from utah and originally and our water there tasted atrocious it was like <laughs> you you would boil and, and it would lo- it would like leave crystals inside of uh, the pot like, like, yeah so hard so hard made the best out oh i'm sure but like you know try to make an ipa and it was like atrocious you had to soften the hell out of it right yeah um and so i got used to because i was from there and our water was so bad i would start with distilled water and add individual salts to the styles i was mm-hmm. making and only in the last couple of years have i've been just like eh, you know denver water is actually good and i've had zero problems with my water here in, mm-hmm. in jeffco but our water the thing about water is does it taste good already it's probably going to make good beer. Yeah. Right? Like you taste your water. Does it taste good? If your water tastes like crap, you're literally going to not, it's not, it's never going to help you anything. It's only going to make it worse. Right.
0: It's, like it's 90% of the recipe.
1: Yeah. It is, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like 90, 97% of 97, the 97. Yeah. Water, right. Or whatever. And you know, beer is pretty much water, right? So <laughs> if use crappy water. You're going to make crappy beer. Yeah. Uh, this instance, I don't think was the problem because this was a time when I was building my own water. Mm hmm. And so I, I would have used distilled and I would have put salts in it based on, on the water profile I was going after, which would have actually been styled after the beer I was trying to make. Right? Yeah. So I, I would have went for a malty, uh, a golden malty beer because that, that is what you're looking for in a, in a, in a British golden ale. Yeah. Another thing is is that, to be honest, ne- since I, I've, I've become a more advanced brewer, I would want to put that on nitro anyway. That's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have my nitro
0: system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
1: see like if I were going to do a a, a British style beer like that now, mm-hmm. I would want it on nitro. Yeah. The the body that you get on a nitro beer like that is what you're looking for. In and, and that's the way you could do it at home without having to like install your own beer engine. Yeah. And so it, to me is like that's what I would do.
0: Yeah, no, I I have my nitro system purely because I don't drink, even though I'm drinking a a holiday stout right now, um, I don't drink a lot of dark beers, so, because I find a lot of them very heavy, so I do like a good British ale that is very thin and body, tends to be low ABV, um, but... I don't like them fizzy which is what a lot of i remember actually the episode i came on for yours we debated this um yeah. a lot of them are, are fizzy so that's why i was like i'm putting in a nitro system
1: well and the nitrous actually gives them body right Cause yeah. you're already looking at hey it's a three and a half percent beer you throw it on you throw it on nitro it gives mm-hmm. it the body to actually feel like you're not drinking the water Yep. Yeah. And, and and those beers are uh, some of my favorites and, and and we've talked about this many times like hogshead brewing here is so good so good and one of my favorite breweries, and I've never been to the UK, you obviously have. And so it would be something where, you know, if you're sitting here saying it's so good, that says something, yeah. right?
0: <laughs> well, that, that's what happens when you head brew is a Brit. So. <laughs> true, true,
1: true. And well, it, it, it actually does it the right way, right? Yeah. Is it, there's, there's no shortcuts there. Uh, those casks are done the way they would do them in the UK, mm-hmm. and, and and their hand-drawn beers are are, are I would say it's close to anything that I've had bottled from the UK mm-hmm. but even then it's not the same it's that, it's that thick head it's that
0: thick head and just that thick oh. Head.
1: oh man they're so good you, and, you can't beat it I got a friend that lives across the street and every time I go to his house and I, I'm like hey let's just pop what, across the street okay. let's <laughs> go
0: <laughs> well speaking of breweries um, we are in this mystical brew pub which turns into whatever you want your brew pub to be so what what would be the name or what is the name of your brew pub and what is the atmosphere you're going for
1: you know my my personal brew pub if i were going to make one would also be geared around food i think that one of the things that people don't look at with beer enough is is that it does go really well with food Mm -hmm. maybe it's the i have i have very deep restaurant roots that's that's really where i come from and and so for me you've got to have beer with food and food and beer complement each other so well. And a lot of us, and especially in the homebrewing world never really put that together. But to me, it's like, you know what, a, a light crisp lager and Mexican food, they go well together. Oh, so really well. Right. And, and, uh, uh especially a multi lager. That's why Vienna lager is so big in Mexico. Those, those type of multi lagers really mm. go well with that style of food. And when you're eating spicy food, it that crispness actually cuts through the spicy and, and, and actually takes a bit of the heat away, right? Which is great. Mm-hmm. And then uh but then it's like if if I'm if I'm sitting there and I'm eating something that's a little bit more hearty, like a meatloaf and mashed potatoes and things like that, that's that that's actually when I'm looking for uh that that that, that British style beer, right? Yeah. you they're, they're gonna that that soft body and, and and a little bit of uh it can be still low ABV but but that that kind of thing goes well with it right Obviously I'm not necessarily saying that that's the style of food I'm gonna make because to be honest if if I were going to make a brewery, I would do all loggers huh? super into loggers right now I would do an all logger brewery and uh, I would be very experimental with the type of loggers I was doing. Whether it be plays off of traditional, uh, you know, right now I think I would have definitely would have a Italian pilsner on it just because they're so good right now. Yeah, uh, it's it's so they're they're so hot right now. And, so hot. And, yeah, and I'm drinking lots of them uh, as of right now. But then I, you know, and what I'd go with is I a spicy Korean chicken sandwich because like mm. all because Cor- all Korean food is is also super hot right now. That, that's what I'm going with
0: very nice and so what would the what would the atmosphere be would it would it be centered around uh korean or would it be centered around italian german like what what i
1: i i would actually make it be like this yeah i would make it super small i think very very small and I would always make sure there was a line for those sandwich, for those Korean sandwiches. <laughs> like, just I, I,
0: hiring I, people I, to stand in line. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> if, you,
1: if you make a line, then all of a sudden you have a line. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> I also know how to market a restaurant very well. You do. And so, and, and so, the idea is that it would be like, hey, let's uh, let, let's make sure we have a line for this, and then you know, we'll just happen to sell beer for the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that one's pretty good. You know what would go really good with it? You want a beer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I can tell you we have now mystically transformed the liners around the entire restaurant. <laughs> I'm drinking an experimental lager and I am in line for that food.
1: Yep. And, and you know, just uh, if it was ideal, I would, have, uh, I, I would have people going down that line going, hey, man, you want a beer? while you waiting yep. in line? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, you are good at marketing restaurants. Yes, yes, <laughs> I try,
1: I try. So that, that's, that, that, but to me, that's, it, it would definitely have some sort of food component yeah. that would be geared around, uh, it, that would go well with whatever beer I was making.
0: And what would you call it?
1: Oh man, you're, you're now asking hard questions. Anyway.
0: <laughs> Coulter's Lager Shop.
1: No, it wouldn't be anything <laughs> like that. It would, first of all, I have this whole theory where uh, naming your restaurant after yourself is like naming your kid Junior. Like it's just a, <laughs> a pure ego trip, right? Yep. So like whenever you see a restaurant that's called Harry's or, or, or George's or Joe's, I'm always just like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you, you, you probably name your kid Junior, right? <laughs> so it's like, uh, to me, if I were going to make the name of a, 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 of a restaurant, which I still have no idea or, or a bar, I don't know what I would call it. Yeah. It would go with the theme. It'd be like, you know, I don't know. Red hot chicken. I don't know. There you go. (laughs) That's good.
0: (laughs) Well, everyone. Red hot
1: chicken and beer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone, you're missing out on being here at red hot chicken and beer. The food smells great. The lager is cold and crisp. And the company is fantastic.
1: And we'll sl- and we'll sling kim- we'll sling you kimchi on the side.
0: We'll sling you kimchi <laughs> on the side. <laughs> um, this has been absolutely awesome. It's always so great to catch up with you.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: I would like to thank my guest Coulter, for coming on, and I recommend to everyone listening go and check out the back catalog of his podcast, Homebrewing DIY. It is one of the best homebrewing podcasts out there. As he said, there's well over 100 episodes, all of them with great information, great interviews uh every episode you're going to learn something new so yep go check out Homebrewing diy and of course thank you so much for listening if you could leave us a five star review wherever it is you get your podcast that'll just help other people find the show if you want to reach out to us possibly come on and share a pint with me you can reach us at our website thehomebrewpub.com or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com or on social at the homebrew pub on Instagram and Twitter. And if like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the homebrew pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax,
1: don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time, cheers.